was a scoundrel and a blackguard of the meanest type. Of course, it did Willerton harm, though not nearly as much harm as Kelston desired, for Willerton knew his job as few engineers knew it, and it is very hard indeed to do much harm to a man who really knows his job. People have to have him. But of course, it did him some harm, and Willerton knew that Kelston was doing it. I came across two men who told me they had given him a friendly hint. That did not improve Willerton's temper. An expert in the construction of those ferro-concrete buildings, which are rising up all over London, he was as distinguished in his sphere as Kelston in his. They were alike, not only in the matter of brains and bad temper, but I think that their minds worked in very much the same way. At any rate, Both of them seemed determined not to change their ordinary course of life because of the breaking off of that engagement. It had been the habit of both of them to have a Turkish bath at the baths in Duke Street at four in the afternoon on the second and last Tuesday in every month. To that habit they stuck. The fact that they must meet on those Tuesdays did not cause either of them to change his hour of taking his Turkish bath by the twenty minutes which would have given them no more than a passing glimpse of one another. They continued to take it as they always had, simultaneously. Thick-skinned? They were thick-skinned. Neither of them pretended that he did not see the other. He scowled at him, and he scowled at him most of the time. I know this, for sometimes I had a Turkish bath myself at that hour. It was about three months after the breaking off of the engagement that they met for the last time at that Turkish bath, and there parted for good. Kelston had been looking ill for about six weeks. There was a greyness and a drawn look to his face, and he was losing weight. On the second Tuesday in October, he arrived at the bath punctually at four, bringing with him, as was his habit, a thermos flask full of a very delicate Chinese tea. If he thought he was not perspiring freely enough, he would drink it in the hottest room. If he did perspire freely enough, he would drink it after his bath. Willerton arrived about two minutes later. Kelston finished undressing and went into the bath a couple of minutes before Willerton. They stayed in the hot room about the same time. Kelston went into the hottest room about a minute after Willerton. Before he went into it, he sent for his thermos flask, which he had left in the dressing room and took it into the hottest room with him. As it happened, they were the only two people in the hottest room, and they had not been in it two minutes, before the four men in the hot room heard them quarrelling. They heard Calston call Willerton a dirty hound and a low blackguard, among other things, and declare he would do him in yet. Willerton told him to go to the devil, twice. Calston went on abusing him, and presently Willerton fairly shouted, No, shut up, you old fool, or I'll make you. Kelston did not shut up. About two minutes later, Willerton came out of the hottest room, scowling, walked through the hot room into the shampooing room, and put himself into the hands of one of the shampooers. Two or three minutes after that, a man of the name of Helston went into the hottest room and fairly yelled. Kelston was lying back on a blood-drenched couch, with the blood still flowing from a wound over his heart. There was a devil of a hullabaloo. The police were called in. Willerton was arrested. Of course, he lost his temper, 
and protesting furiously that he had nothing whatever to do with the crime, abused the police. That did not incline them to believe him. After examining the room and the dead body, the detective inspector in charge of the case came to the conclusion that Kelston had been stabbed as he was drinking his tea. The thermos flask lay on the floor in front of him, and some of the tea had evidently been spilt. For some tea leaves, the tea in the flask must have been carelessly strained of the leaves by the maid who filled it, lay on the floor about the mouth of the empty flask. It looked as if the murderer had taken advantage of Kelston's drinking his tea to stab him, while the flask rather blocked his vision and prevented him from seeing what he would be at. The case would have been quite plain sailing, but for the fact that they could not find the weapon. It had been easy enough for Willerton to take it into the bath in the towel in which he was draped, but how had he got rid of it? Where had he hidden it?